Good morning. Happy Father's Day. We're going to start with a Bible verse from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. And um, just one thing about me that you want, uh, I want you to know is that I'm a voice of a spiritual father to a fatherless generation. The thing that I minister most is the father wound and the fatherhood of God. So uh, today I'm going to share from the depth of my heart. Uh, but 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. If we can get that on the screen. I might have to turn around for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And I want to underline the last phrase. You will not be put to shame. And today we're going to talk about everybody's favorite topic. We're going to talk about shame. 30 years ago, I took our four kids. They were pretty young. We went to Kings Island. I hadn't been to uh, ride on a roller coaster in a long time. And, and I was so excited and at the same time kind of terrified. And we got in and they closed the, the little bar, sort of like the seatbelt, and, and you're in. And suddenly you're going up and you're like, OMG moment. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, like, Okay, there is no getting out. Even if you wanted to get out, okay, you all have just climbed in, and the thing is down, and we are going clack, 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 clack as it goes up. For those of you who don't know what that means, hang on, keep that seatbelt on. Later, we're going to take the seatbelt off, because it's going to get awkward. And that's designed by God, because he wants to extract fragments out of your heart. My daughter-in-law, Brittany Grayson, was a member here at this church, married my son, Micah, and then they went to Africa. She's a pediatric surgeon. Many of you know her. And uh, COVID is when they went over. So they came to our house to live for three weeks, but COVID prevented them from going. So they were at our house for about five months. And we're watching a movie. You know, there's not much to do in those early days. We're watching a movie, Denise and me and... And Denise and I and Micah and Brittany and Brittany's sitting right here next to me. And it's, I don't know, some movie, some action movie. And someone's ex a doctor's extracting this bullet out with these tweezers. And they drop it in that middle pan and it goes clink. And Brittany just casually turns to me and she says, I never remove a bullet from someone's body and drop it until there's a metal pan because I want to hear the clink. I never really thought about my daughter-in-law removing bullets. <laughs> I mean, you know, she works on kidneys and removes gallbladders. If you had a kid with a gallbladder out at down at Riley, she might have been the doctor. And I just like, I turned and slowly looked at her and I'm like, how many have you removed? <laughs> uh, uh, far more than you want to know. And then she shows me this x-ray of someone who got shot with a, a shotgun. Of course, it's got pellets, you know. Two dozen in here. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's a keeper right there. <laughs> so fasten your seatbelts because God is going to do some surgery this morning. He wants to remove these, these fragments, this shrapnel, these bullet wounds that are in, embedded in your soul. You see, the original purpose of God for creating us was to reflect himself. Romans 1.20 says that all of creation was created for a purpose to reflect the invisible attributes of God, his divine power, his eternal uh, uh, attributes. 
And many of you did a, a Bible study. The men did a Bible study, uh, A.W. Tozer's book, The uh, Knowledge of the Holy, in which you talk about attributes. And so when in Genesis 1, when God created, he simply looked at himself and whatever he saw, he created because creation is his mirror. You probably have never thought of that. And so he first looks at himself and says, I'm light. And therefore he said, let there be light. And then he says, it is good. Then he looks at himself and he sees life and he says, let there be life. He doesn't say that, but he forms all the life in heaven and on earth and in the water over, over the next few days. And after day one, two, three, four, five, he goes, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then on day six. He looks at himself, and he looks at himself by looking at the image of himself, not just a reflection, but the living image, Jesus Christ. And he said, let there be love, and he created Adam and Eve, because we were to be the perfect reflection of the invisible God. That's our purpose. And God is glory, and the good news about what I'm sharing today is the opposite of shame is glory. And that's where we're going to stand and land. And so he looked at Adam and Eve and he saw, and they are the reflection made in his image because we as humanity in totality are to reflect what God looks like. And so that was the eternal purpose. Of course, then sin came. And right before sin came, there's an interesting uh, verse uh, in the end of chapter 2 of Genesis 2. It said, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. But many of us are ashamed, not just of our physical nakedness, but the nakedness of our being. And we're going to talk about that today. So keep the seatbelts on. God then said, okay, we're going to have to redeem and then transform and restore. You see, God isn't here to give you a ticket to heaven. Getting a ticket to heaven is not the purpose of the gospel. It is not the purpose of the gospel. It's a component. The purpose is to get you redeemed and then get you transformed so that while you live this life here and now, you begin to reflect so that when people look at you, they go, I know what God looks like. You see, Jesus came and that's what he did. In Matthew, um, John chapter 14, verse 9. Uh, uh, Jesus is right about to go to heaven and, and he's talking about the father and Philip goes, just, just show us the father. You know, Jesus, just, hey, Jesus, just show me the father. Whew, that'd be enough. And Jesus is like, I don't have any hair here to scratch, but Jesus is like, I have been with you. How long have I been with you? Three and a half years. And you don't even know who I am. You don't even know who I am. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The invisible Father is on full display. And so the invisible Father wants to be on full display through your life. You want to know what God looks like? Start looking at good fathers and good mothers. The way they're loving children. So that was the intent. That is the glory. And that's where we are headed. And that's where God wants to get us in this life. But if you just like, I got saved, maybe I got baptized, 
I got my passport to heaven. I got my visa to heaven. I show up, and I'm like, Angel Gabriel or Michael, like, hey, here you go. I get to come in to the pearly gates. Okay, sure. But that's not the intent. The intent was God wanted through us to express himself, to have a representative of himself, and to become visible, to, be, to become uh, uh, manifested through us. So we're going to talk about shame because shame is the opposite of glory. We reveal God when we exhibit his glory. So when I pursue God fully, like when I love my wife well, God is visible. And when I don't love my wife well, he's not. When I love my four children well, the father is visible. And that's what he wants to do to us, for us, through us. To make himself visible. And so there's a problem we have, and this problem is called sin, but in particular, it's called shame. So we're going to talk about shame, and I hope that you'll give me permission to talk about myself. Okay, that is Titus James. He weighs, he's six months old, my grandson, and he weighs 26 pounds. So, Okay, Titus, keep amen and your grandpa. Okay, so shame comes from three sources. Most of us think of one source. I sinned, I did something evil, and now I'm ashamed, right? And there's a healing for that. Uh, it's associated with guilt. We won't have time to go into that. But there's another kind of shame that comes out of our uh, limitations, our inadequacies, our insufficiencies, and our failures. So an easy way to see this is poverty. If you are poor, and especially if you're poor and you're near someone who is not, you're going to feel ashamed. You're going, to, is there anything sinful about that? There's nothing sinful about that. My father was number six of ten kids, the first nine years of his life, he lived in a five-bedroom house, two bedrooms, a kitchen, a living room, and a back porch. There was no bathroom. There was no running water. Under the bed, they had what is called a chamber pot. You guys know what a chamber pot is? I mean, okay, it's wintertime. You got little kids. You, I mean, I know there's a lot of kids here, right? And they get up and go to the bathroom. Okay, what did, what did my dad do when they had to get up and go to the bathroom? Okay, well, there's this basin under the bed, and you pull it out, and you fill up the chamber pot. I mean, they were, they were poor. They didn't have water in the house. You needed water? Go out to the, to the pump and pump. When he was nine, they moved into a house that didn't have a bathroom, but it did have a pump in the sink. I mean, they, were, they thought they were in hog heaven, they were, but they were so poor. Some of his brothers had barefoot to school. Uh, my grandpa was so poor that uh, one Christmas, the only thing he could buy for the kids was bananas. I mean, this is far, far from modern America. My dad was deeply and intensely ashamed of poverty, and shame began to rule his life. And I'll share more about that later on. But that's just an example of that. You might be ashamed of, of not being athletic. Many of us are ashamed of our body image. Okay, look at this. Okay, not too bad, but... 
I've got abs of steel, but they're in the molten liquid form. <laughs> okay, you dads can use that. That's a perfect dad joke that you can say about every two weeks. We're ashamed of our failures. Have you ever failed? Nothing wrong with it. You're just ashamed. How about ashamed of failing as a dad? Got your seatbelts on? Clack, 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 clack. This roller coaster is going up. We're right at the top. You know, at the top of the thing, it gets about halfway over, and when it gets 51%, that's when it goes down. That's where we are right now, going down. If you feel shame, it's okay. Keep the seatbelt on. We're going to take it off. By the way, the, the pastors got together this morning. They had no idea that I was going to start with fasten your seatbelt. And they had a prophetic word during prayer, and the word was fasten. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today. And, of course, as we prayed over that, it, was, it became fasten yourself to the Lord, fasten truth onto yourself, fasten yourself to his heart. And so we're going to get to all of that. But isn't that beautiful that the Holy Spirit already knew where we were going? Some of you maybe needed to know that. There's another uh, shame that comes, and it comes from being projected on you. Uh, think of peer pressure. Like, you don't feel any shame about something, but others do, and so they put shame on you, and then you feel ashamed. Or perhaps you're at an event, and someone else does something that's shameful. My mother was an alcoholic. So at age 13, I remember we were at a restaurant. I, we went to restaurants once per year. Okay? That's how frequently I went to a restaurant. Here we are. Having at a nice restaurant, and mama's drunk, and whew, she starts talking like a drunk. And I was humiliated. And back in those days, you know, you just, you just sort of endured. Everyone's looking at you, and if we, we grew up in Greenfield, a community of about 10,000 10, people. I grew up beyond there, about 10 miles. Everyone knows who you are. It's one thing to be at a restaurant today and nobody knows who you are, but everyone knows who you are. Talk about embarrassment. And then another time we were at the state fair and we were in the grandstands watching horses race. Now, my dad is in the Indiana Racehorse Hall of Fame. I mean, he is a big shot. There's a state fair. There's a barn there with the name Will Fung on it, named after my dad. I mean, this was like where he, his glory, natural glory would shine. And here's mom intoxicated and she decides to use the power of shame in that moment and she begins to just be loud and obnoxious because she wanted to make my dad suffer pain and so she did it by shaming him shaming him aloud and shaming him in public it was pretty effective and my dad I never saw my dad back down but dad backed down then he had to because the, the more he resisted her, the more she was going to act out. It was not pleasant. 
So anyway, those are the three sources of shame. Jesus is the good shepherd. You know, shepherds are supposed to heal us. Scripture says in Luke 4 that Jesus is the one who heals us. He binds up our wounds in the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah. The, the shepherds are rebuked because they were not bringing healing to people's wounds. And so we know that Jesus Christ is going to heal. And today he wants to heal you of some particular shame. So make note of the things that sort of come up as we're talking. Because we're going to have a time of prayer and Jesus Christ wants during that time of prayer to begin to heal you. I've talked about my dad and about his poverty. My wife's dad, Jim Ham, he was a boilermaker, by the way. And uh, any boilermakers in here? Boiler up. Yeah, well, he wasn't that kind of boilermaker. He was a factory worker, and he made boilers. <laughs> Matter of fact, he had never been to Indiana, and he rooted for Notre Dame. I mean, like, what is that? Ugh. Anyway, he was illegitimate, 1931. Now, I'm going to quote. There's probably some young children in here, so... You might think this is a cuss word. I'm going to quote the King James Bible, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, if you're without discipline, you're a bastard. I use that word for, to be dramatic. I use that word for power. In 1931, to be fatherless, to be illegitimate was extremely shameful. It is about the most shameful thing you can get apart from being a murderer or something like that. And he grew up not knowing who his father was. He was they were illegitimate and at worse. He never met his father, never knew his name. His mother gave him up. You're unwanted. Anybody here unwanted? Anybody here doesn't belong? Anybody here lonely? Anybody here hide, hide the pain of who you are? My father-in-law did. He turned to alcohol. That's what a lot of people do. We, we now have extra drugs, other recreational drugs to ease the pain. These are the things we do to ease the emotional pain. We use these mood-altering substances. He used alcohol. And, of course, my poor wife had to endure a whole lot. A lot of story there. We won't go into it. But I just say that because I'm just illustrating the kinds of shame that's out there. Uh, my own story, I hated my father from the age of five. When I was five, something happened. I cried. And my dad, instead of comforting me, got in my face and go, boo-hoo-hoo, oh, just keep crying. You know, he shamed me into silence. Dad would do that all the time. He never apologized. I only saw my dad apologize once. He never apologized. On that day, I remember saying, I hate you in my heart. And that hate stuck. Um, he emotionally abused us, verbally abused us. Dad grew up as a Christian scientist. Now, that's not Scientology. Uh, not many Christian scientists out there today. His it became more of a philosophy for him. His parents basically taught him this. Sin doesn't exist. Death and sickness don't exist. As a matter of fact, there's no evil that exists. And by denying that they exist, they can't affect you. 
And so um, what dad would do would be try to get us to only be positive. So if you, like I remember my brother one time, we're building fences. I'm like 10 or 11 and I turn with the board and it hits my brother in the mouth and he needed stitches, three or four stitches. And blood is everywhere. And what does my dad do? He just mocks my brother, makes fun of him until Paul stopped crying. Well, sure didn't hit my brother's heart with my dad. You know, my brother, um, four year, three years older than me, when he was 14 and I'm 11, I'm pretty good at math, by the way. <laughs> he was 14, I'm 11, and he came up to me and he said, I'm going to murder dad. And I remember, I remember freezing for about three or four seconds. And I'm thinking, and then he describes it. He's going, I'm going to sneak up behind him. I've got this lead pipe, and I'm going to clobber him over the head. Now, you know, we played the board game Clue as a kid. Mr. Green killed somebody in the conservatory with the lead pipe. And, uh, uh, you know, who knows where he came up. And, and, and my response was this. I paused. I thought, Dad will be dead. Paul will get the blame if he goes to jail. And I'll be free of Dad. That was my thought. And I said, do it. Well, he chickened out. So a couple months later, he told me a second plan. I'm going to crawl under the car. I'm going to clip the brake line so it has a slow leak. And on his way to work, he'll crash and die. And I again said, do it. When I was 11, Dad bought a new car. It had seatbelts. I mean, okay, I'm really old, all right? So there were no seatbelts before then. And um, every time we got in the front seat of the car, if Dad put his seatbelt on, I took my seatbelt off. If he left his off, I put my on, and I wished for a wreck. I think that's called hatred and bitterness. So when I talk of this, that's, that's my relationship with my dad. Because there's small heirs here, I'll put it a little bit in code here. There was other abuse that took place by others. A more evil, sinister abuse. Started when I was five and a half, ended when I was 15 and a half. My father didn't protect me from these predators. Some here, because about 20, 25% have suffered what I suffered. Be glad you got your seatbelt on at the moment. If someone's squirming next to you, don't pay attention to them. About 100 120, maybe 150 episodes. When I stand here in front of you and you look at me and you look at my children, two of which are sitting here, two of the four, and they have really good, strong, healthy relationships with me. You have witnessing a miracle. And that miracle is called transformation. And this applause is for God the Father. Because I ain't got it. But he does. And he has revealed himself to me as the Father. This is where the healing comes. Let's turn the page. And let's go to the healing for our shame. If you have shame that stems from and arises out from sin, 
There is healing for that. It's called the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, the love of our Father. He is kind. He is patient. He is long-suffering. And he wants to forgive you. If you don't know him as your Savior, this is why we talk about this. We will pray with you afterwards. Some of you here know him as Savior, but you feel guilty still. You still have shame over past sins or maybe sins you've recently done. Jesus Christ has come as the high priest. He has shed his blood. He has presented his blood to the Father. And his blood satisfies the anger and wrath and displeasure of the Father towards us. Some of you today need to partake of that. I want you to come up and pray when that time comes. If you're like, I, can, I just can't get rid of this, come pray. God's going to begin to bring healing to you. Another source of healing comes when we are in a spiritual family. You see, Denise and I both were orphaned in hearts. I moved to Miami, Florida. Man, well, I was a fish out of water because I grew up country. Cornfield County, Indiana. I mean, the back of my house was woods, cows next door, corn across the street, and now I'm in Miami. Quite a story. But there I found a spiritual family where I could take off the mask. I could expose the real bow. Some of you here are good Christians, but you're wearing a mask. Because you're terrified of being seen. If they knew who I was, they wouldn't accept me. And they certainly wouldn't love me. I want to tell you about the love. The love of the brethren. This is why it's so vital for us to love one another. Well, so vital for us to have a voice in one another's life. So vital for you to be in the life group. So vital for you to get to know. I have to tell you, when I was 22 and God began the healing process from the shame, from that darker kind of shame that I had, that I spoke of a moment ago, and I told four people the full truth. I mean, I took the fig leaves off. Adam and Eve put fig leaves on to cover their nakedness, and I took them off, and I found love for the first time because my four friends accepted me just as I was with all of that shame. Wow. Talk about love. How could I ever turn my back on Jesus? This isn't about, oh, the Bible says Jesus is God. Yeah, it's, I'm like, I'm not worried about being out convinced. When Jesus touches your heart and heals your shame, you ain't never going to leave him. You ain't never going to leave him. And one of the ways is by belonging. This is why spiritual family is so powerful. When you belong to a family and have people that know what you look like and they still love you and accept you. Wow. 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 And then there's the shame that arises from our limitation, our failure, our inadequacies. It's healed by God calling us sons and daughters. Psalm 3, verse 3, David says this, You are my glory and the lifter of my head. 
I am not my own glory. My own accomplishments are not my glory. God is my glory. He is the one who lifts my head. When you're ashamed, your head goes down. When you're not ashamed, your head is up. How many times my little children, and they were ashamed of something, and I'm disciplined, and I'm talking to them, but after I discipline them, I go, I love you, and I hug them, and then I took their, my, my hand under their chin, and I lifted their head, and, the, and God the Father wants to lift your head. He is not ashamed. We're going to be preaching from Hebrews, and in chapter 2 it says, He is not ashamed to call you brothers, brethren. Speaking of Jesus, our older brother, he is not ashamed. He is not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Each one of us need to be saying to one another, to one another I am not ashamed to be your brother or sister. And I hope you're not ashamed to call me your brother and sister. You see, there's shrapnel in our soul. God's reaching in with the tweezers and he's pulling out these fragments, these bullets. And as we pray, there's going to be a clink, clink, clink. I hope there's a whole bunch of clinking sounds. You guys remember the, the Matrix movie and the final, he goes like this and the bullets stop right there. And then all of a sudden they all fall and drop and all the little sounds. That's what God's going to do. That's what the Father's going to do. So we're going to talk about real briefly the fatherhood of God. He calls us his sons and daughters. Let me tell you about my sons and daughter. No one liked them. There's no one like them. I mean, I love your kids, but I love my kids. And do I love them because they have performed well? Okay, Antioch, 31% of us are like 10 and younger, right? Do you guys love those kids because they perform well? Titus here. What has Titus done? Six months old. Kept them awake, puked, pooped. <laughs> I don't know, Leah, do you, do you love Titus because he's done something for you or because he's yours? You see, so many of us know God, but we don't know the Father. Do you know the Father? Can you put up the picture of the, the three people with me? Tell a story about Ros, Rosana. So Rosana lives in Peru, her husband Miguel and their daughter. And I was ministering on the fatherhood of God, and this picture was from a couple of years after that. But the first time, uh, they came forward for prayer, and you can see how high she is. And you can see how she has her head at that picture. She's on my right side. But the day we prayed, Miguel speaks English. I didn't speak Spanish. So uh, she had her head right here, and I have my arms around them like this. And there's a lot of noise. So Miguel's face is here. Rosanna's face is here, and she has her, her ear right here on my chest, and I begin to pray. And she's weeping, weeping, weeping because she has deep, deep father wounds, deep father wounds. And Miguel's translating for her, and this takes about three or four minutes. So precious. She's, she's my spiritual daughter. Miguel, Miguelito, as I like to call him, is my spiritual son. I love them. Every time I go, and I'm going there in, in October, I, we take time to have dinner, and God brings deeper healing to them. But you know what she did? She heard my heart beat. And she said, I felt the arms of God the Father for the first time, and I heard, 
I heard his heartbeat in your heartbeat. What was happening? I had become a visible manifestation of God the Father. I would be remiss to not tell you a little bit more about my own dad. Because the story does not end with him being an awful father. He was a good man. He suffered post-traumatic stress syndrome from World War II. He resisted the gospel. He resisted everything. He had a fiery temper. temper. He was Bobby Knight on steroid. For those of you who are too young, you don't know that. But Bobby Knight one time threw a chair at a Purdue player when he's shooting a free throw. My dad once picked up a chair and threw it across the office at our secretary. I mean, he was explosive, and, and his words would go in. Many of the fragments I had in my own soul were the words from my own dad. Well, the last six months of his life, he began to humble himself. I got to pray with him. He received Jesus. I water baptized him, and he died seven days afterwards. But about two weeks before that, I was hugging him, and I said, I love you, Dad. It was the first time I ever felt love for my dad. God is in the business of restoring, right, Beth? He's in the business of restoring. He's in the business of forgiving. If you are a dad and you're like, man, I've just blown it, go to your children. All you have to do is say, I don't know if I can make it right, but I've been wrong. I humble myself. If you have to forgive someone, go to them. Or just forgive them in your heart at least. If you have wronged someone else, Jesus, by the way, says if you're worshiping and you, someone got something against you, stop worshiping, go and get reconciled. This is how healing of shame comes to be. All right, we're going to take the seatbelts off now. Take the seatbelts off. I hope it's been a little bit awkward for you. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. So right now, you've been hearing the voice of Jesus, and you need to follow him. And I want to invite you to come up. I want you to invite you to come up for prayer. There are some here who just need prayer. And I don't care if it's five people or 50 people that come up or 150 people. Some of you, I want the prayer team to come on up. Some of you need, need to respond. And some of the prayer team may even need to respond. Can we, can we stand up? Take your seatbelts off. Prayer team, come on up. I'm going to step down here in just a moment. I'm going to be willing to pray. There's a grace on my life, a grace on these people's lives. I know many of them. A powerful grace. If you've got a father wound, come up. If you've got shame from any kind, come up. There is healing for you. Don't stay away. Come. Father, we just humble ourselves. Father, we pray that you would bring your healing sap. Father, we pray that your tweezers would go in, the forceps would go in and remove fragments, God. We pray there would be clinking. As the team begins to sing and worship, come. Come on up. Thank you.